Welcome to That's Why Podcast with Anna and Patricia, the show where we arouse your curiosity while we dull your senses. Hola, Patricia. Hello, Swan. <laughs> How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much. Today, we are talking about something a little bit more serious. We are talking about mental fragilities, hoarding, OCD, and autism. I know that, of course, you have experience with autism because two of your kids are autistic. Is that correct? Mm -hmm, that's correct. And how did you find out that they were autistic? Like, what age did you realize, oh, you know, there might be some social cues you observed or their behavior? Well, to answer your question about finding out, I didn't find out till they were probably in second and third grade. I had to go get them tested because my son took uh, quite some time to speak. And then uh, it's interesting because my daughter is more on the Asperger's, you know, what they would define as Asperger's. Um, but she would do things like the hand flapping and the skipping she would just, you would just, it was almost like a switch would go off and she would just start skipping all over um, the house. And again, they were a little defiant. You know, they, they, they're very connected to me. They're very family oriented people. Usually um, they don't like their circle to be too big and it can, you can do it in doses, but not all the time. And uh, so they exhibited behaviors ever since they were little. And I was like, something's off. Hmm. It's really interesting because when you have knowledge, it's so important to do your research. Don't always take people's word for it. I remember my mother-in-law, because I'm Latina and my husband's Caucasian, you know, he doesn't speak Spanish. And so I wanted to teach my kids Spanish. And since this was my first child, I thought that, well, she said, you're confusing him. This is why he's not speaking at five. And he would mumble certain things, mumble a lot. But, you know, at five years old, you should be able to say certain sentences and articulate uh, certain things. And she was like, you're confusing him. In her lack of knowledge or ignorance, if you will, and I, in my lack of knowledge and ignorance, I listened to her because it really wasn't that. It was that he had this mental fragility. And if anything, it actually probably would have helped him for me to continue to try to get him to speak both languages, you know? Yes. But then it impacted the way I taught my kids Spanish, the, the others to come, because I was really kind of scarred with my first child. You're a new mom and you don't know what you're doing. I got them tested and I'm glad that I did. And, uh, you know, when I was little, I know you're, oh my gosh, how, how much younger are you than me? I'm 40. So 12 I'm years. 13 years. Oh, 13. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. 53. Mm -hmm. When I was little, what? You get a smack in the head. You had dyslexia. Psh, you know, <laughs> if you have, if you're, um, what? ADHD, what they call today, ADHD. Psh, I mean, everything was a smack and a belt and a hit that cured everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And it's only now that we're able to at least understand enough to say, okay, you have this and this is how we tackle this to help you be your best self. Did you know my sister had ADHD as a kid? No. And they were recommending Ritalin to her. Oh. And if you met her, I mean, yeah, audience, I, yeah. if you guys met her now, yeah. you would never guess she was an ADHD person. Never. Oh my gosh. She's so mellow. So mellow. And I feel like we <laughs> will over prescribe yes. any type of little symptom. Restless leg syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, you have a migraine or it's just like a little headache or, oh, you need this, you need this. 
But she grew out of it because when you learn skills through life experiences, then there are things you can control. I'm not saying people with ADHD get off your medication. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in one situation that I am familiar with, my sister was so agitated. Like she would move all the time, move, move, run around, fidgety, run around, like not focus, didn't do schoolwork, just super, super hyper. And now she's calm. She likes to be... She is calm. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're right. We over-prescribe and sometimes even Mm misdiagnose. If you think you have a stomach problem and really technically it's intestinal, you're going to treat it completely different, but it's all in that same region. And sometimes it's hard to tell. So, and you know, they're on the lighter spectrum. My kids are wonderful. To be honest, I've even told Swan this. If I could have made all my kids autistic, I would have done that because they are so amazing. They're sweet. They're giving and generous and family oriented and respectful. All the things you want a child to be, that is what they are. Do they have their challenges? Absolutely. But they have flourished and grown so much and and it takes a lot of patience and love. The first time I heard of mental fragility was from you when Peter and I called you for some advice and you said, oh, well, this person has some type of mental fragility. And I didn't understand that word because when I think of a person that's diagnosed, mm-hmm. book diagnosed, yes. I, are they bipolar? Are they depressed? Do they have anxiety? But the mental fragility has different levels or different types of, what would you say? Different types well, of... Well, I like the, I don't like the word illness per se, Versus fragility, right? Okay, thank and we're you. all fragile in one way or another, right? I can suffer from depression at times. Actually, you're pretty good, Swan. You don't have any issues. I you're am one of the few good. people. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I suffered from depression was after a, a car accident. And for about a That's year right. and a half, I was, and I didn't know what, what happened, but the doctor said I suffered a concussion and I suffered from PTSD. And I told him, I said, no, I don't have PTSD because I can still drive. And the intersection that the car accident happened, I don't avoid that intersection. I can drive there. Right. And he said, well, your PTSD manifested into an emotional PTSD because your brain is trying to protect itself from the trauma by mm. being angry or outbursting. Right. Instead of logically thinking of situations your reaction is just anger mm-hmm. or hate or, right. you know. Um, so for a year and a half, I would say, yeah, it was, well, I wouldn't say depressed. I would say the only emotion that I have was anger, if I had an emotion, yes. or I was numb. And the only love that I had was for my pets. Even when Peter would try to comfort me, I didn't want to be around him. I didn't, everything wow. he did, I was just like, you're annoying. And I told him, I said, if I'm like this in a year, leave my ass. I remember you yeah. saying that and thought, dang, that's pretty bold. I mean, I yeah. wonder how he absorbed that, you know? Because I was like, you cannot suffer with me, you yeah. know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me to feel it for a year and a half, I can only imagine how it is for someone dealing with that for their whole life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're we're kind of um, lumping a few mental fragilities, right? Some are worse than others. Thank goodness my children drive, they have jobs, they interact with family just fine. But other things like hoarding is a mental fragility and it's often triggered by trauma. I discovered that it does tend to run in families and I can, can see that. Now to just 
describe the supposedly textbook description. It says a mental fragility in which hoarding is a mental fragility in which a person has a persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions because of a perceived need to save them. One in 50 Americans suffer from hoarding. That's a lot. So it's up to 9 million now. I was dumbfounded. But there's often times there are like signs. It's almost like a, 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 a woman that's battered. If you have a friend that you've known for a really long time and they never invite you to their house, that's actually one of the signs. And uh, in the show Hoarders that we've that we've watched. Yes. Um, that's that's the constant in all of those. I know so and so for this long and I've never been to their house. They've never invited me. They're ashamed. There's a stigma and there's a shame because just like we judge people that are super obese, thinking that they're just lazy and you just eat too much. It's just about discipline. We judge hoarders as well. Now that I understand, and I do have family members, obviously, without divulging who they are, that are struggling with this. It's almost like, again, equating it to that obese person. How many times have you heard an obese person say, I don't know how I got to this? And you're thinking, don't you look at yourself in the mirror every day? Like, you could, you didn't just wake up that way. But it's those little by little things that then one day you wake up and you're like, whoa. How did I let this happen? I think that we can say that about almost anything. Debt, right? Relationships going awry. But hoarding is so, it's so hard because uh, a lot of times it's not that it's not diagnosed because it's obvious for the other people seeing it. So my understanding is that when they see, I was explaining to you earlier, there's a brush on this on this table here. They don't just see a brush the way you and I would see a brush. They bond. It's almost like they bond with every article and everything has use. I can say that I do that with receipts. I had a very interesting experience with a friend of mine. Uh She was like, we went to the store and she didn't get a receipt. And I was always told by my mother, you need to get a receipt and always keep track of your transactions. But I get the receipt but I never keep track of my transactions, right? And that's what that's why computers are there. When you go online to look at your stuff, mm-hmm. you, you don't need the receipt. But something about that conditioning that my mother was like, hey, this is the way to keep your books, right? And I, I asked my friend, I was like, aren't you going to take your receipt? She's like, no, I don't need it. And I looked at her almost like I had this awakening. (laughs) How could you not need it? You know? And she's like, no, I'll just check my bank statement. And then in my mind, I thought, well, how can you keep track of all your transactions? Well, chances are you'll see if something's out out of place, you'll find it, right? But I am already conditioned and I can see how in in little ways I myself can can have those tendencies. I certainly don't have a hoarding issue, um, but... Um, with family that does or people that do in general, everything means something. I don't know if you audience have seen that show hoarding, but I was dumbfounded when they would be like, there's a, a bottle cap with no bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's on the floor next to a dead rat. And you're thinking, how can you bond with this thing? But I have learned that just because I can't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. I feel that we judge people based on how we think, not being able to get out of ourselves and say, but I don't have that mentality. You know, I don't, I don't think that way. You know what I mean? So 
Okay, so go ahead and set it up. There is a clip from Hoarder's episode, and we'll just play a little bit of this to give you an idea of the mental fragility this person has. My mother used to put poop in a jug. Oh my gosh. Actually, by the time you put it in there, it's actually a dirty water jug is what that is. So that's what all those dirty water jugs are about. I want to say that the reason that Shanna didn't get rid of all those bottles is because she's lazy. So that's an example of a person assuming that person is lazy. That's why they're not cleaning. But you'll notice she had a mom that was hoarding pooping in bottles, keeping the urine, everything like that. Now she's living in her own home and continuing that pattern. Yes, continuing the pattern. And there are two things. It's it's that learned behavior. And like I said earlier, sometimes it's triggered by trauma. I would say that I've seen maybe what, seven, eight shows and at least half or maybe a little bit more than half were triggered by trauma, mm-hmm. most of them. But you learn these patterns and as disgusting and terrible as it seems, it's not as easy as laziness. And then listen to how she responds to her poop when the clinician is asking her about the poop situation. Yes. You want to get high one last time. You're getting a high out of thinking that you've got fecal matter in your food. It's it's my last, it's my last blaze of glory. So it's not just a trauma anymore. It's almost like a drug. Well, it's part of who she is. It is. At this, at this juncture, right? If audience, if you saw her face, she had this sense of elation. Like, like if I told you I'm going to take you out to Ben and Jerry's to get your favorite ice cream, you're, you, you, automatically smile she has this look on her face like this is uh, like she said high like Mm -hmm. she was gonna get high off of it but just like any junkie this is not a good thing for you right it's not even healthy she hoards specifically poop yes in bottles and it's if you could see the photo of this youtube clip that we're watching her whole entire house is filled with it and they're not just like little gatorade jugs these are gallon jugs of poop yeah that she will scoop out from a bucket and then put it and store and keep it and it is again it's never organized right it's like i let me show you my cabinet number one it's all over the place and i can't even imagine if you've if you listen to our smells episode um that was right before this one and scents i have a really really heightened sense of smell you could pass gas in your house 30 minutes later you got to my house and i'd be like did you fight <laughs> did you fight who fought it and you're like yeah at my house 30 minutes ago before i got here <laughs> like my sense of smell is so that's why I have a phobia of stinking because of course uh, conditioning my mother was like people who smell are dirty and I never want to be perceived as dirty and so point is that my sense of smell is so heightened that I don't even know how those people go in there 
Forget about her. She's probably the cleaning crew. You mean? Yeah, the cleaning crew and the the clinician and everyone. Her, she's probably used to it, and she gets a high probably of smelling it. So okay, let's not lie, people. There are people who've like smelled their own bo, and they're you know, and their own well, brand you know, doesn't hurt them. We have to do a smell check before we meet a guy on a date. You know, we've done that before. Exactly. You know, it's like yes. okay, make sure that everything's nice <laughs> and pristine. Yes. Did you do the deed? Um, but I can't imagine smelling fecal matter I know. all day amongst other aromas that are floating around there, I would think, right? Because it's it's not just that. And I wonder if their person, because I have seen the show and other people, you, you know what's bizarre? You'd never, they look just like a regular person, right? Yes. It's not like they look like a homeless person or they look like regular people and you probably work with them. If one in 50 have this issue, you work or know someone that is a hoarder and lives in those conditions. Yes, very true. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have hoarding tendencies? Uh, yeah, I, I think that I have tendencies of accumulating things that I don't need. I guess I wouldn't maybe diagnose it as hoarding, yet if I, like, for example, products. You know how many products I have? Like, yes. yes, I saw. I was like, <laughs> holy I have moly. a whole curio cabinet of, like, oils and lotions and they all smell great right it smells amazing you go into my room but just because it's not stinky doesn't mean it's not a hoarding issue right so I had to come to terms what the only (laughs) the only way that I came to terms with that was when we moved into our master bedroom oh and I'm like oh my goodness did I really buy all of this did I is this all mine and I had to make a concerted effort just like anything else, right? Just like overeating, just like whatever. No, I'm not going to buy one other thing until I'm done with this bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, oh, so that's another thing that I was going to say about hoarders, that um, in doing a little bit of research, they usually have one to two other mental fragilities that they uh, are accompanied, whether it's OCD, whether it's depression, but it's never just one. Mm. It's just never a hoarder, but hey, everything else is great in their lives. They don't have debt and they're, you know, and they're a supervisor at this company and like it can go on and on. Usually it's accompanied by other things. How would you advise people to respond to a person with mental fragilities. For example, your children. You've obviously raised them. You know how it is. But a person like me that doesn't have the relationship with people with mental fragilities often, how would you advise me, for example, or, or the audience to approach a situation where that person might be autistic or they might have OCD or anxiety? What do you think would be the best thing to go about it? Well, definitely educate yourself. Um, if you haven't educated yourself, know that whenever you're dealing with anyone, in all honesty, don't take things personally. For example, sometimes people with autism can come across as a little insensitive. They're a little brash. And you can take that personally. Don't take it personally. And always approach them with love and empathy, right? Because that can solve problems. Asking questions instead of making assumptions. If I ask you a question, if you said something to me, a better question instead of reacting and assuming that you meant me harm is asking, well, what do you mean by that? Why did you say that? And clarifying questions to understand. Because usually that is the thing. They don't mean harm or they don't 
you know. Do you um, mind if I bring up the trip that you took to Chicago? And oh then, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you told me that you went to Chicago mm-hmm. with your daughter, and you were hurt. Why isn't she talking to me? She was ignoring me, looking away. And how did that make you feel? And how did you talk to her after the event? Mm-hmm. And what went through her mind? To preface that, my children know that I'm a Latin woman <laughs> from New York City and I put it out straight up, right? I'm usually very honest and open with them, but I've learned to try to deliver the message in a little bit more of a soft way. And so, and I, and I find that when you tend to be honest with people, again, approaching it with love, they, they're receptive. So the, the story is that we're in line waiting f- to go into this concert and everyone's talking to each other. And why would I do a podcast? Cause I like to talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know what I mean? If you're hanging out with me, we're going to have some conversation. Um, so my daughter, what happens that I've also noticed with autistic people is they tend to be very introverted especially if they're having an emotion that they don't know how to express. You, Swan, you and I, if we don't like something, we're not only animated about it, but we'll talk about it. And if we got to duke it out, we're going to duke it out. And then we put it to rest, right? Whereas they internalize everything. They don't even know how to articulate what they're feeling or how to put it out on the table because they're worried about a million things. Is it going to come out wrong? Are they going to be hurt? So they just hold on to it. So we're in line. I'm behind her. Everybody's talking, having a good time. It's getting closer to going in. And my daughter's not even looking at me. And there's somebody that walked in that looked like the artist that we were there to see. So she got all excited and I'm standing there and I'm basically being ignored. Even though physically she's ignoring me, it's not that she's, again, I'm assuming she's ignoring me. She's just so into her emotion that she doesn't know what else to do. She was so excited to go in. Now, a regular teenager would be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, did you see that guy? He looks like, mm-hmm. whatchamacallit, right? I think it was Jesse McCarthy. McCarthy. And, that's, that's, you know, and they get all excited and they're, and they're talking <laughs> and I'd be like, oh my gosh, do you think it was him? No, none of that happened. It was... She gave her back to me. She wasn't even looking at me. And it was like I was there by myself. And I see everybody interacting normally. Mm -hmm. So I did say, Genesis, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. Again, listen, I know her. We've, it's been a quarter of a century, but I'm still always learning as a parent. So at the time I was kind of getting annoyed and I'm like, So I'm standing here. I take the time to come be with you at this concert. That's not even for me. It's completely for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, you're ignoring me, you know. And I'm so happy at her response. She was like, you know, I didn't mean to ignore you. I'm just so excited. And then I realized, okay, that's the way that you're coping. So I said to her, you know what? I appreciate you telling me that. And tell me that. Yes. Don't wait till I have to draw the words out of you because I'm feeling ignored. You're giving your back to me. That's another thing that's very helpful to deal with people with any fragility is let's state the facts, not emotion. Technically, you are giving me your back. You are not talking to me and you are not engaging me. That's indisputable. Got it. Now, how I feel about it and you feel, that is to be determined, right? So point being that she understood and she's like, I didn't mean to treat you that way. And so there has to be an understanding that's happening to both. So acknowledge the facts and then let's kind of talk about it, I think would be, would be helpful. But that experience 
we grew really close from that trip. Like I, my daughter and I are so tight right now. She reads books to me at oh, night. Oh, I love that. This is another thing that autistic people do a lot. She sends me probably videos every day about dogs and oh. cats. Knowing that I'm really not an animal person. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what they do. To show you that they love you, they share what they like. Uh Mostly, if you were to cook something for me, are you going to cook me, cook for me what you like or what I like, right? You're going to cook for me what I like. But usually they'll cook or share what they like. My husband does the same thing. And I'm like, I don't want this. And I had to learn, oh, that's your gesture of love. is sharing with me the things that are of interest to you, even though they're not of interest to me. Oh, wow. That's eye-opening. I didn't even think about that. My husband and my children do that all the time. There is a difference then between being selfish and having that mental fragility. Because they're not being a narcissist like everything I care about is more important than you. But they're saying, I want to share what brings me joy. Yes. And it's the cats and the dogs. And I'm excited about this. This is what makes me happy. Exactly. It's exactly like that. And you have to understand that love language and respect that this is their communication. And almost as someone who can see beyond it, appreciate it. Does that make sense? Are there times where you, because, you know, I think that there are times that I don't want to explain something to someone because I know that they don't have the ability to understand. Right. I think that even if I approached them and said, hey, the way you behaved yesterday was really off-putting because of X, Y, Z. They would always have an excuse and say, well, it's because of this. It's never because, you know what? Thank you for sharing. I'm going to keep a mental note about that. Mm-hmm. I will yes. try to acknowledge it. And, and, and now I'm and, aware. Yes. So that's the thing. Like, how do you know when it's appropriate to talk about it to a mental fragile person versus I'm not even going to try? That's a great question, Swan. And let me tell you something. I have been fortunate. I don't know why, but the people in my life that have this fragility, I have been able to say be honest. And their first thing is not to come up with excuses. They acknowledge what they've done. They take ownership. And then I tell them what I need or how, you know, let's see how we can fix this. And they take a mental note of it. And that I think is the difference. When you talk to someone who's always making excuses, have you met, have you met those people that no matter what you say, Mm -hmm. they have a reason and excuse. And it, once you give them a rebuttal of that one, and then you give them the next one, they got an excuse for that. Yes. Then they're not willing to be self-aware. Well, Dr. Phil used to say it well. He's like, well, you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. Oh. Did you ever hear him say that? mm -mm. I I hardly watched him. I don't really watch TV a lot, (laughs) but I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, you can't, um, and another, I heard another therapist or whatever say, you know, if there's, if you don't see the hole in the wall, you're not going to be able to fix it. There's a book that I'm reading right now and it's by Adam Grant and he's a professor at, I think it's at University Wharton. I think so. Anyway, it's called Think Again. And what he talks about are people that are so devoted to their beliefs, they're unable to Mm -hmm. adjust 
or become fluid because they're like, I am, for example, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I will never change. But then if you're able to, to change and say, oh, you know what, let's see the bigger picture. Let me hear what you have to say. Yes. And put things in different perspectives. Those are the people I would respect, mm-hmm. not the ones that are like, I am going to stick to my word yeah. and blah, blah, no, blah. No, you can't say anything that will convince me otherwise. Then your decision's already made. Exactly. And you're not being open-minded. Right. Um, but when someone allows you uh, to have a platform, right? Let's say pro-life and pro-choice is exactly. still a huge debate. Um, instead of someone, if I said to someone, I'm pro pro-life, okay, tell me why. Yes. But often you, listen, when it comes to religion and politics and things like that, you can't have that conversation with people because we don't allow the other person to to have that platform. Now, I wanted to say one last thing about hoarding. How do you know if it's a problem? I was listening to a a video, Mayo Clinic as well, and they were saying when the space gets in the way of living life and its intended purpose... So the value of that item is no longer valuable and they keep it? Well, if if it's affecting, for example, how do you know that your hoarding is, if you're actually hoarding or hoarding too much in the kitchen because you can't cook, because you can't clean the dishes, because you can't walk, the kitchen doesn't function the way you need it to function, you know? And I think that anything, whether it's gambling, debt, hoarding, uh, sex, like anything that you can think of that's be, it's an issue eating. If it stops you from having quality of life, that woman didn't have quality of life with all those shit bottles that she had in there. You know what I mean? If it's impeding your ability to live a quality life, she had a life, but it wasn't quality and she can't even walk around her house. Some of those homes are so bombarded with things and their booby traps and they couldn't even get out if there was a fire or they could cause a fire easily it's a hazard that is obvious that it is a bad thing right Mm -hmm. because people might be concerned well have you ever have you ever read something on a bottle be like if you have these symptoms this you have this disease and you're like oh my gosh i think i have half of that am i dying you know no you can't just diagnose yourself so quickly like that but Ask yourself certain poignant questions like, is it stopping me? Is my addiction to whatever, is my mental fragility not allowing me to have good, healthy relationships? Then yes, it's an issue that you might want to address. Agree. Very good. I love that. Okay. So we want to end by saying that, like we said earlier, whenever you're dealing with anyone with any fragility, um, especially if they're open to trying to fix themselves, help themselves, help the relationship, always approach them with love. Try to seek understanding instead of always being understood and being judgmental, right? Yes. So the inspirational quote for today is someone being patient with you is one of the softest forms of love. That is very good. Yeah. And that's the best way to to show your concern and help is by loving them softly. And I need time. to work with that because I don't have patience. Sometimes I'm like, why don't you just do it? I don't yeah. get it. Exactly. Oh, do you think yeah. I'm not the same? And listen, I've had my meltdowns with <laughs> my kids and my husband. But after 30 years, I've learned so much and I'm older and I'm a little wiser you are wise uh well I'm a little wiser but all these experiences has helped me 
to realize that judgment and aggression really doesn't usually get you the results that you that you want. So That's true. let your ego go and lead with love. That is very beautiful. If you would like to be a part of our show, we would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your story. We'll give you our unfiltered, unprofessional, unqualified advice. Record an audio clip and send it into that's why show at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at That's Why Show. Our episodes are everywhere, so please follow, subscribe, and write us a review. And with that, peace, peace love, and dark chocolate. chocolate. Thanks.